0: We're starting our Advent series, and uh, so we're taking a break from the Gospel of John, and we're doing one called Jesus Is, Uh, and so over the next four weeks and on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is King, Uh, Jesus is Holy, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is Emmanuel, and Jesus is our Savior, so it's over the next four weeks and on Christmas Eve. And uh, those terms are are what we find Jesus described as, uh, as you look at Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. He's described as other things as well, but those were the the five things that we've decided to to focus on in the next few weeks. Uh, And so this week we're going to be looking at, uh, sorry, this week, yeah, Jesus is King. A king is something that we've all thought about over the last few months with the, the queen passing away and King Charles taking the throne. Uh, and I don't know about you, uh, but during that time, like sabbatical kind of came at a good time. Kind of, but I was addicted to the TV. Uh, and since I wasn't having to prepare for anything, it kind of let me give in to that addiction a little bit. Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I was just hooked, just watching everything that was happening. Something that none of us have probably really seen before or can remember before, but before our eyes, his history was getting played out. Uh, and so it started on September 8th with the BBC breaking news. Uh, and then after that, we got to watch all these different ceremonies. There was the Ascension Council. This thing was just like, what's going on there? I actually, it was really sad. Oh, I don't know if it's sad or not, but I actually hit record my Sky thing. So I wanted to see it. I was out that morning. It's so like, I don't want to miss this. So, so I recorded that. And then there was all the proclamations that went out across the country. Uh, on the Sunday, uh, myself and the family went out to uh, bankreed to see the coffin pass by. And then there was all the different speeches that took place in Parliament. And it was just lovely to see them speaking nicely to each other for once. And so it was like, yes, we'll watch, we'll watch a bit of this. Then there was the vigils that took place in Edinburgh and London. And of course, you could watch that 24 hours a day for three days if you wanted. And of course, there was the funeral, uh, which was just packed full of pomp and ceremony. Actually, in that time as well... Uh, I used to, like years back, I quite liked reading a bit of a newspaper. So when I was on holiday, I would always buy a newspaper. uh, But I kind of got out of the way of it. Um, but on those two days, the day after the Queen passed and the day after, I bought two newspapers in both those days. because just like, I want to have these so I can pass them down to my kids so that they can have them and they might actually be worth something in the future. <laughs> I, I kind of do that. So in the, the London Olympics, uh, do you remember they did all the postage stamps for everyone who won a gold medal? I was one of those people who bought all those stamps and I've got them in an envelope stuck away in the loft with big letters on, do not throw out, might be worth something in the future. <laughs> a king is something that we've all thought about then over the last few months. But there was one part in that week that really stuck with me. It says the Queen's coffin was transported from the Palace of Holyrood in Edinburgh up the Royal Mile to St. Giles Cathedral. She was followed by some members of the royal family. And that was headed up by the new King Charles. And in the crowd, there was a lady holding up a sign. And Armin, are you, are you able just to pop that up? You might remember this. Let's see if we've got it. You might remember that. That was on the news, and it was splashed around everywhere. And I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of free speech and appropriate times for protests. But as I considered that sign, my reflection came to be, okay, that's not your king, but who is your king? And I think it's a question that we all need to look at. We might not realize what our answers is, but we all do have an answer to that question. Thanks, Armin. You can you can take that down. In our passage today, thank you, Claire, for reading it. In Matthew 2, we find two kings mentioned. The wise men have traveled from the east. And they've arrived in Jerusalem seeking more information about where they can find this newborn king. For the Magi to travel so far to worship a new king born of the Jews, that is significant in itself. Israel was not a major nation in the region. In fact, it was often the subject of contempt. It was a nation that had been held captive from empire to empire for centuries, never able to break free from its oppressors. But yet here we have these wise men, the Magi, like evidently respected men, seeking out a child that they can honor, that they can worship with these expensive gifts. Awkwardly, they've gone to King Herod and his chief priests and his scribes to find out more. Uh, I definitely think it was pretty gutsy of them to go to the incumbent king and say, Hey, where's your predecessor? Uh, No, where's your Successor! Thank you. Thank you. You're all listening really well. I'm just testing you. In Herod and Jesus, uh, we've completely contrasting kings, and we'll look briefly into who Herod was and the Herods that, that followed, and we'll look at who Jesus, the true king, is, what he's like, and then we'll come back to that question at the end. Who is your king? So Herod the Great was king when Jesus was born and was known for his building work in the nation, particularly the extension of the temple, but he was also known as a man of immense cruelty, of fury, of trickery, and insecurity. So if we continue in that Matthew 2 passage, we all know it well, but we read of genocide, of the killing of boys under the age of two years old. So this new king could be wiped out and there wouldn't be a threat to him. And his cruelty increased. Uh, And so not long before Herod the Great passed away, um, he apparently went on a bit of a killing spree of his family because he was threatened. He he thought he heard rumors of how they were going to overthrow him. And so he killed them. Herod the Great was then succeeded by his son Herod. I'm going to Butcher this Archelos I Archelos? do Archelos? Anyone know how to pronounce Archelaus? Nigel, well done. You can trust <laughs> Nigel. Uh, and so you can read about him in Matthew two twenty-two, and where it says that Joseph was afraid of him, and he reportedly slaughtered three thousand prominent citizens of Israel, and he had his rule eventually removed by the Roman Empire. And by the time of Jesus' ministry, we've got Herod Antipas, who rules over Galilee. And we have a similar theme of death with him as well. And we all know the story of how he had John the Baptist killed. And then with Jesus, we see that mockery and we see the contempt that he showed him. But with each of these Herods, there is that theme of death. There is selfishness, there is cruelty. This is not the type of kings that you want to live for. This is not the type of kings that you want to serve. It's not the type of kings that you're going to trust in when you need some help, when you're looking to run to someone for refuge, for safety, for protection. The Herod's are not the type of king that you want to run to. These are the type of kings who rule with fear over your hearts. These are the type of kings... That leads to destruction but thankfully we have another king in this story and he is altogether different his name is Jesus and instead of death he is a king who came to give life this is a king that is forever that is incorruptible and is humble and we're going to briefly look at those three things so the promise of a king whose throne would be forever was made to King David centuries before. And so you can read this in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. I'll read those verses for us. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so as we go through the Old Testament, we come across all these kings. And so you had the likes of Asa, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Hezekiah, and a few others who seemed to have a bit of a decent reign. And then you come to some others like Ahaz, Manasseh, Amon, and Jehoiakim, and they were pretty horrendous. But none of those on that list, no matter what type of reign that they might have had, and none of them had a kingdom that was forever. As with, you know, with the Herods there and with these kings, today we, uh, we, we have kingdoms that continually come and go. I found it fascinating a few months ago when the queen did pass away, just everything that kicked into place. It was like clockwork. You could tell that over months and for years that they had been planning this. So that as soon as she passed away, they just knew what they were doing. And uh, the news was reporting on different things and that. And it was pretty incredible to watch all of this play out. But you could see that there had been a succession plan for years. In Luke 1, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, he reiterates the covenant made with David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus' kingdom will never fade. It will never be conquered, never age, decay, or grow weak. Jesus will never, ever be removed from his throne. There is no succession plan. There's not one needed. He will rule forevermore. In Jesus, we have this unchanging king, the one who was and who is and is to come, the one who is true to his words in every occasion, one who is faithful, one who is dependable, one who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. His is a kingdom that has always been and always will be. During my time on sabbatical, it was quite an interesting fact that we had three prime ministers and two monarchs. (laughs) Quite a lot happened in that time. There was a lot of change in that time, and we saw a lot of turbulence in that. You could see in amongst all that turbulence that there was worry and there was concern, just as things seemed to change on a daily basis. When I was out in Central Asia, there was a time when there was that little mini-budget that happened, and on one of those days when the pound was diving, It went actually to just under a pound. I think it went to 98 or something. Uh, And I was there with a lot of missionaries, and they were just seeing their support. It took a 20% hit in a day. through nothing that they had done. It was incredible to see the faith that they had in that moment. There was not fear. They trusted that God had brought them there for a reason, and he was going to provide for them no matter what. In our forever king and in his forever kingdom, we need not fear that his throne will be threatened. His kingdom reigns above all others. And in this chaotic world, we need to remember that even though it feels chaotic, it might feel concerning. It might feel to us like it's out of control. The world is not out of control because Jesus reigns on his throne in all complete authority. Paul asserted there is no authority except from God, and that's Romans 13. This is the kingdom of Jesus that we are welcomed into, and that is a kingdom that I'm so glad to be a part of. There's uh, some words in Revelation 4 that I'd like to, to read. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 4, or tap to Revelation 4 if you'd like to. And we've got this wonderful picture of what the throne is like now and forever this is revelation 4 1 to 11 after this i looked this is john and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i will show you what must take place after this at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. with was one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of th- uh, peals of thunder. So we see this power there. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So we had that picture of the power. And then you get this peace that comes as well. That is a picture of the throne that is now and is forevermore. And I love that picture of power, but also that peace, that calm as well, on that throne where He will be worshipped forevermore. I have to apologise. I've got a runny nose, folks, and I need to blow my nose here. Maybe, uh, Robert, when this goes out, you can just re- you know remove this bit from the recording, please. That would be a I'd be very grateful. Jesus is sat victoriously forever and ever. Jesus is also the incorruptible king. Lord Acton, he's a, or was a historian, writer, and politician in the 19th century, is quoted as saying, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And because of sin, he is right. We can probably all think on cases where that is true. The story of the Herods is of power out of control. People that have become corrupt and wield their power as a threat rather than as an opportunity to bless others. And we can probably think of many examples around the world in politics, in business, and in monarchies where this has happened. In contrast, we have Jesus, who is the incorruptible king, who is full of power, but he's also full of love. As Jesus was born in a stable or in a cave, wherever it might have been, he is God, one of the persons of the Trinity who is holding all things together by the power of his word. So the star that the magi have followed to find him is there because he deemed it to be there because he created it, because he was sustaining it right in that moment, baby in the stable, full of power. And again, we're just being reminded of that power, so they have got the, the NASA Artemis mission, and we're, again, we're seeing these amazing pictures of Earth, we've seen these amazing pictures of the moon and stars going out into space, and it all proclaims of Jesus' power, King Jesus, who reigns forever on his throne, of power. The passage that we read in Revelation, was one that was this picture of power. And as you go from Genesis right the way through Revelation, we are reminded time and time again that we have a God who is perfect in power. But this is not a power that corrupts. The devil did his best to do that as Jesus returned from 40 days of fasting and prayer in the desert. The king of the universe, He's perfect. He's just. He's loving. He is merciful. And he's full of grace. And he doesn't look down on us in a demeaning way. He doesn't barter with lesser kings. He can't be bribed. He cannot be corrupted. He doesn't just do good. He is good. And he invites us as friends, as family, to enjoy that goodness. In a kingdom, the people within it are. Often referred to as subjects. And I don't know if you noticed that, but a few months ago when we were talking about, you know, passing from the queen to the king, I found that word subjects being used a number of times, and I felt quite uncomfortable with it, to be honest. But what we have here, and Jesus says, that's not what he calls us, he calls us his friends. And in John 15, 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So we may posture ourselves before him as servants. And, And that's the first words that we have written from Paul to the church in Rome. The first words, he says, is Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. So that is how we should posture ourselves before him as his servants, but that is not how he looks upon us. And so it's one goes that way, but he calls us his friends. And I think that is truly remarkable. And you look into Hebrews and we're described as his brothers and sisters. This is not a king who lords power over us, but who welcomes us in with deep Friendship welcomes us into his family who invites us to approach him about absolutely anything nothing can feel so nothing is insignificant for us to approach this all-powerful king and he welcomes us in and he wants to hear from us and he shares this power with us it's not lorded it's not just him that but what we find in the new testament is that he works his power out through us through the church through this body here, he, by his spirit, shares that power for us to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. This forever kingdom has a forever king who is incorruptible, who uses his power for the glory of God and for the good of others, and he calls us friends, and he has a humility beyond all others. So as we looked briefly at Herod's a few moments ago, I think the last word that we would use to describe them is humble. We would probably use the opposite. So we might describe them as arrogant, as privileged, as proud, conceited, egotistical. It could go on and on and on. But In Philippians 2, this is how Jesus is described. He wasn't distant. He didn't separate himself from anyone. But he walked closely with them, eating with them, being with them. He is a God who is near. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He washed feet. He was a friend to those who had no friends. He was a friend to the outcast. Jesus never lived in a, in a palace, he had no money, no silver no gold, no jewels. The only crown he ever wore on his head whilst on earth was a crown of thorns. And the passage said he would humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. In the garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood knowing what was to come over about those next 15 hours or so of punishment, trials, mocking, spitting, horrendous pain, and ultimate death. This humility led to our salvation where Jesus went to the cross and there he took on our sin, he took on our guilt, he took on our sin, and he defeated them. And he defeated death. and He rose three days later. A few moments ago we read from Revelation 4, and I'm just going to go to the next chapter and read a few from Revelation chapter 5. So this is Revelation 5, 5 and 6. the line of the tribe of Judah, our king is described as a lamb, a gentle creature, a humble creature, described as one who has been slain, but yet is still standing, and one who has in fact conquered and one day this humble lamb of God will be recognized and will be worshiped by every tongue. And so in Philippians 2:10 and 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is king. He is the forever king. He is the incorruptible king and the humble king who saves and will one day be worshipped by everyone. So this leads us back to our question. Who is your king? Is it the forever, the incorruptible, humble king who saves or is it another king? A similar question could be, what rules your heart? So right, the last couple of months, I've been doing a course called Dynamics of Biblical Change. It sounds more impressive than it is, I think, don't worry. <laughs> I understood most of it. A lot of the course is about how in the, in the heat of life, such as you know, health, difficult, difficulties in relationships, stress, pressures, good times, bad times... How we react to them displays what is in your heart and in your mind. It talks about the thorn bush. You know, it's a place where idols take root and sin leads from there. And it also talks of the tree of life, rooted in Christ, and there good fruit rises up. Who is your king? We're often placing ourselves on the throne. Our wants and our fears drive our decisions. Sometimes it's so subtle that we don't even realize that we've placed ourselves on the throne. Or maybe we're placing someone else on the throne, someone who is imperfect, someone who is completely lacking, someone who will never be able to satisfy or fulfill our expectations. These kings or idols or desires as they're often described in scriptures of what the devil wants us to lean into more and more. He wants them to completely captivate our hearts. And as we saw with the Herod's at the start, when we put our trust in kings, we're putting our trust in someone or something that eventually leads to destruction. As part of this course, I've had to do quite a lot of like self-counseling coursework, I kind of... Reflected. I think I've done more coursework in the last couple of months than I might have done in about four years of an accounting degree. But they've been good, but they've not always been that easy to write. So, in, for some of the courseworks, you, you take, like a vignette, you take a, a story of your life, so something where you might have struggled a bit. And you're asked to look at the questions of how did you react? And then why did you react that way? And the why is really important to ask ourselves, because that is what shows us what's in here. It shows us what rules our heart. It shows sometimes what is our king. And for me, as as I did that, um, I I saw someone that can often look for just a simple, easy life. Someone who just wants to have a comfortable life and, you know, The hardships, I can just like push them across there. And to me, sometimes I'd want that so much that I'd look to control things instead of living a life of complete surrender to the King of Kings and the one who I can completely trust in. So, as someone who can sometimes struggle with, and you know, in the the Course they, they speak a lot of like fear of man. And so, struggling sometimes with what people might think of me of how I might let people down, of how I might disappoint them, and how that can rule my heart rather than the king of kings who loves me perfectly. That was a bit of what my thorn bush is and the things that I am continually having to sacrifice and to give over to God and ask for that transforming power of the Spirit to reroute me from the thornbush into the tree of life. We live a Christian life that is about progress, It's a from-to life. And in this realization, I am deeply thankful that I have a God who forgives, who is merciful. I'm thankful to him for his transforming power. And even in the past weeks, I'm glad to see that thorn bush decreasing in size and faith growing slowly, but hopefully surely. And it's that from-to process. that, You know, in God's power, these things can happen in an instant. But often they happen through an entire lifetime. And so it's that each day, just saying, God, I surrender to you. Father, I am sorry for the times when I have put myself on the throne, when I have put others on the throne, when I have removed you. Help me to make sure that you are constantly on the throne of my life, where you are worshipped, where you are adored, and I completely surrender my life to you and trust you at all times. We have a God who reminds us that he doesn't disappoint, unlike every other king. Anyone or anything else that you might like to put your trust in, they will disappoint, but God will not disappoint. He is good all the time. He is our strength. He is our peace. He is our refuge. He is our salvation. He is our provider. He is the lover of our souls. He is always with him. Let Jesus be your king. I love Christmas time. Really do. I love this tree. Love it. My dad did the lights and I think he did a phenomenal job on them. Look at them. The dispersion of them is perfect, I think. So some of you will know that I've been listening to Christmas songs since the first of November. I'm okay with it, people. And I think you should be as well. There's so many good Christmas albums out there, you need to start listening that early. We put our Christmas tree up yesterday and I loved it. Love all that kind of stuff. Love Christmas trees, love Christmas songs, especially love the little Tesco mince pies with the icing on top. They're great. I love the family time. I love the Christmas dinner. I love the giving of gifts. I love the receiving of gifts. They're all good things. They are all fun things. But we need to be careful in this season with increasing noise, with increasing distraction, that we keep Jesus on the throne. That we don't allow something to crowd him out Something that might seem subtle to start off with. But let Jesus be the reason for the season. That cheesy line that Christians have said for donkeys. And it is cheesy, but boy is it true. The same goes for every other day of the year. We need to keep asking, who is my king? And we need to take the time to consider how we respond to those different events in life. The good ones and the hard ones. And we need to make sure the answer, we know the answer. So Sometimes we think we know the answer, but we need to make sure that answer is truly lived out in our lives, that Jesus is our King. As we come to a close, let me just read a few words from Matthew 2 again. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Be like those magi. Let's seek him out. Be willing to be sacrificial. To go far in doing so, seek out the newborn king who will rule forever, full of power, full of love, who is incorruptible, who is humble, who came to save me and you. Be like the Magi and fall down and worship the one true king. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one true king. Who reigns in perfect power, who reigns in perfect love, who reigns forevermore the one who shares that power with his people so that we can be blessed and be that blessing to others. Thank you for that amazing picture of our king as that slain lamb who's standing, who's conquered sin, who's conquered death, for the one true king who we can trust in at all times. And Father, we want to say sorry for the times where we have put someone else Maybe it's us, maybe it's another person, maybe it's something, a thing that we have placed on the throne of our lives. We are sorry when we have done that. And we ask for your help. Have you as our only king. The one who we live for. The one that we put all our trust in and the one who will never, ever disappoint us. Would you help us with that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.